Last time we were, we were together in the book of Galatians, it's, it's been a couple of weeks for us, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. Thank you for, for letting us go on a bit of a vacation, but uh, here's what's wrong with our government. They scheduled Labor Day right between Galatians 6.1 and 6.2, which they're going to have to work on, but it's an, un, it's an unfortunate break because we only studied one verse of Scripture last time, and so very obviously where we pick up today is definitely a continuation uh, of what should be fresh in our minds, which is difficult enough in a regular situation. But here's the verse of Scripture we read and studied last week. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, brethren or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And from that verse, we talked about a very uncomfortable topic, confronting other people when they're wrong. And in that verse, Paul, Paul told us what, when we might have to do that. Anytime someone else is jammed up in any kind of sin, it might be necessary. He taught us who we need to be to be qualified to do biblical confrontation well. We need to be spiritual. But Paul's already defined what that means just previous to that to be spiritual, to be led by the Holy Spirit, which means the Spirit will be growing out of me for others to enjoy the fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's who I should be during the confrontation if I'm qualified to do it. He told us the reason or the purpose for which we confront. It's not to punish primarily. It's not to expose primarily. It's to restore the person to their walk with the Holy Spirit, which will take care of the disobedience and and the other relationship problems, and then the manner in which we're supposed to confront, which is in a spirit of gentleness. I'm supposed to be looking at myself so that I will not be tempted. Tempted to what? To operate in my flesh which is exactly the problem the other person had, or they wouldn't have sinned the sin they sinned. So that's where we've been. And that is a difficult thing to do at all. It's a really difficult thing to do well. Paul's going to continue from verse 2 through verse 5 to talk about confrontation. And at first, he's still talking about confronting others. But very soon, Paul's going to lead us to think about confronting someone else, it might even be a more difficult thing to do than confronting someone else. Because Paul's going to talk to us today about confronting ourselves. In some ways, we're less likely to confront ourselves than we are to confront someone else because even though we don't like to do that, at least when we confront someone else, we're sure they're wrong. Part of the reason Paul teaches, or the, and the Bible teaches, that it's so necessary to be willing to confront other people is because we're so lousy at confronting ourselves. If we were good enough at confronting ourselves, 
no one else would ever have to confront us. But self-confrontation is vital. This last section of the book of Galatians is all about what the Christian life should look like. And Paul doesn't say, here's the list of sins you should never sin. Paul takes for granted we're going to sin. Because you know what? We are. The Christian life should look like owning the sins we sin. Confronting ourselves and having the wisdom and the grace to see our sins the way God sees them. That is called confession. And repenting of them, which means then changing, going in a different direction. We all know, like logically, that we're sinners. I've been asking people for 12 years this question. Do you know you're a sinner? I don't think I've ever had a single person tell me they're not a sinner. We all know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know, there's no one righteous, not even one. We all know everybody makes mistakes. I'm not perfect. But when's the last time you said these words? I was wrong. I am wrong. Because you see, there is a massive difference between understanding I know I make mistakes and actually finding one and admitting it to myself and to my God and to someone else. That's part of what the Christian life ought to look like. But last time's sermon still applies. This is not a sermon where I want to stand up here and tell you to beat up on yourself because of what a loser you are. No. When we talked about confronting someone else, we, we talked about the opposite of that. We're supposed to do it gently. Let, empowered by love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control to restore that sinner. Well, if you're a sinner too, that's how you should confront you. It's part of what the Christian life should look like. We read that verse last time. We'll read the rest of the paragraph today. Galatians chapter 6. That was verse 1. Let's continue in verse 2 where Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each person must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each person will bear his own load. There's our passage today. We're going to start in verse 2, but I, I want to make sure I keep verse 1 on the screen with verse 2 because they should be understood together. I, I wanted to do the whole sermon last time on confrontation, but we shouldn't try to understand verse 2 without verse 1. Because in verse 2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens. 
thereby fulfill the law of Christ. But in its context, bearing one another's burdens is about confronting other people who are jammed up in some sin and doing it well. That's what Paul calls bearing each other's burdens, right? A burden, the Greek word for burden here, baros or baros, it's, it's a word for something that's too heavy for, for, for one person to lift. This is a metaphor. If this was an actual burden, it would be something too heavy for me to get out from under and I would need you to come help me lift it off. And if, it's an, if it was a literal burden, you can't help somebody get it off without like bending over, grabbing a hold of it and helping them pick it up. Paul says, that's what we're doing when we confront someone else in their sin. Again, we're not confronting someone to punish them, to hurt them, to expose them. It's to help them. Because they're under something that they shouldn't be carrying around. It's crushing them and they may not even know it. And by doing that, by confronting well, bearing their burden well that way, Paul says that's how, that's one great way we can fulfill the law of Christ. Now what's that mean? If Paul has been clear about anything in the book of Galatians is that we are no longer under the the law. But then in the application part, he says, well, this is one way you fulfill the law. Now it is the law of Christ, which makes it somewhat different, but Remember, we are not, we don't make ourselves okay with God by how well we obey the law. We're okay with God because Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God we deserve for our sins. When we believe in that, we're declared to be righteous. But once we've been declared righteous and we, we are under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will wind up obeying a whole bunch of the law. And Paul says, this is one way we obey the law of Christ, which I think is an allusion to a different law. The very end of Jesus' life in the upper room, uh, the same conversation where where we will celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, where that came from. Jesus said to his disciples this, the last night of his life. He said, a new law, a new commandment I give to you. Here it is that you should love one another the way I have loved you. That's the way you should love one another. And if you want anyone else to know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's love other people the way Jesus loved you. That's a very high bar. It's not treat other people the way they treat you. Oh, no. It's not even treat other people the way you expect to be treated. It's higher than that. Jesus loved people who had no reason for him to love them. He gave them no, we gave him no reason for him to love us and he died under God's wrath for us just because he loved us. And Jesus said, now, you get out there and love other people like that. How are we supposed to pull that off? I'm glad you asked because Paul just told us confront other people in their sin well. Bear one another's burdens. Jesus died to lift the burden of our sin off of us. 
and to give us real freedom and abundant life. And if I love you and see you jammed up in some sin, I'm, I'm actually, catch this, loving you like Jesus loves you if I get down in there and help you lift that sin issue off of you. That is love. That's important to understand. Because when you go to confront someone, even if you confront them well, and you tell them about their sin, what are they going to say to you? What are they going to accuse you of? You're being so judgmental. Who are you to judge me? Listen, if you're doing it correctly, for the, with the right motives, for the right reason, to fill with the Holy Spirit, you are loving that person the way Jesus loved you. Because Jesus doesn't love you so much that he doesn't care how you act. It's part of confronting, bearing one another's burdens. Now, what are the things that keep us from doing that well? What are the things that, that keep us from confronting other people when they need it, when love would require it? Paul says this, here's the barrier to us doing confront, confrontation well. And this can be confrontation of myself or confrontation of others. Or if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. That's Paul telling us what keeps us from doing confrontation or doing it well. If anyone, when we think we are something, when we're nothing and we deceive ourselves. What does Paul mean? And what's this doing here? We probably should take, if this was in a classroom setting, here's what I would do with this. I would say, I want you to take out a piece of paper and write down a list of reasons why you would hesitate to confront someone else in their sin. Could we make that list? Could we come up with some ideas? Somehow I think they would all fit under what Paul is saying right here. What keeps us from confronting others, what keeps me from confronting myself in my sin is because I tend to think I'm something when I'm nothing. If we would make that list, here's some things I think we would write down. Uh, I don't have the time to go and have that conversation with that person. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say this one out loud, but I don't care enough to go and confront that person. Um, how about this one? I don't want to get caught up in that messy, that kind of a messy situation. Another subconscious one is, if I'm really honest, I kind of don't really, I'm not really that sad that they're caught up in that sin. I kind of like it. I really don't want them to quit because I'm kind of glad. All of those things fit right here. It's because the reason I won't do that is because I, I, I think I'm something when I'm nothing. You see, all of those reasons, all of the reasons why we won't go confront someone else's feelings of superiority on our part, they are. I don't want to 
lower myself into a situation like that. I don't want to get caught up in a situation like that. I don't want other people to think I'm like that or involved in something like that. My stuff is too important to push the pause button on to go and help a person like that with a thing like that. Or, you know, again, it kind of makes me feel better that there's someone out there I can talk about that's so much worse than I am. All of those things have to do with this truth that we say all the time. It feels better to feel better. It feels better to feel better. That's a barrier to confronting others, and it's a barrier to confronting myself. You know why I don't confront myself well? Because I don't want to think I've got such problems. I want to think I'm better. Paul says, I want to think I'm something when I'm nothing. This is going to sound kind of awful and monstrous, but it is true about every, every single one of us. All of us in our flesh, which is just our natural state, when we're on autopilot, all of us are scared to death we're nobody. All of us are scared to death we're going to be nobody. And so we spend a lifetime trying to convince ourselves we're somebody. That's why we spend so much time trying to convince someone else we're somebody. Because if I can get you to think I'm somebody, that will help convince me that I'm somebody. And we use a million different things to do this. We use achievement, academics, athletics. We use money. We use success. On an upside-down version of that, pay attention here, we use our problems. My problems are so big, that makes me somebody. I've got it worse. Now, the truth is, because I, I just want you to think I matter, because I want to think I matter. Here's the truth. You matter. And I matter. We all matter, but do you know why? You matter because you were made in the image of God. That's why you matter. But that's not why our flesh wants to matter. You know why? Because if my value is based on the fact that I'm made in the image of God, that means I don't, I don't matter any more than anyone else. But that's the truth. I matter because I was made in the image of God. You matter because you were made in the image of God. And, and that means uh, whatever uh, special needs person that you know that maybe is non-communicative, that person matters every bit as much as you or I or President Biden or President Trump or uh, Jeff Bezos or Taylor Swift, and I'm about out of pop culture references, sorry. Our value comes from who created us, not what we can create out of ourselves. And here's the other side of that truth. Because that's true, this is also true. Apart from God, you don't matter. Neither do I. 
Now, can some of the things that you do matter, like make a difference? Yes. Yes, they have impact. But ultimately, cosmically, eternally, apart from God, I do not matter. Look at someone that's three rows away from you right now. Go ahead, do it. It'll be really awkward. I just want to watch it happen. Okay? And ask, your, and ask yourself how much that person's great-grandparents matter. If the Lord tarries and does not return, four generations from now, there is no one in this room who's going to be even remembered Is that depressing to you? Does it seem like I'm telling you there's no point? That life is like empty? We have stumbled upon the entire thesis of the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, here's the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon did a social experiment where he tried with all his might in all these different areas of life to matter. He tried it with the number of people he could get to love him and how many people he could physically love. He did it with how much he could accomplish, how much wealth he could amass, how much respect he could get on the international stage. And he did all those things 10,000 times better than you or I could ever do it. And you know what his conclusion was? That stuff don't matter. It's empty. But I'm not telling you your life has no point. I am telling you your life has a point. It's just you're not it. If you are living in God's world, then you are God's creation. And God is the point. And God has handed over all of authority, all authority on heaven and earth to his son, Jesus Christ, which makes him the point. We may not realize this. In fact, in our flesh will never realize this. Because what our flesh is, is that part of me that screams, I'm the point. I need to get what I want and let me try to organize the things of my life so that I do. And now let's look at what Paul says again here. Anyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Do you know what that means? That means the absolute best we can do through all of our achievement, all of our, uh, uh, all of our gathering things, conquering lands, whatever we can do to make ourselves something, the best we can do is deceive ourselves and others into believing that's actually true. Look at me, I'm something now. Paul says, not any more than you were to begin with when you were created in the image of God. And that is why we won't love other people enough to confront them and why we actually don't love ourselves enough to actually confront us because our flesh is always fighting to just 
Prove that you're right. Don't admit you're wrong. Convince everyone else they're wrong. What about when you, well, you can't talk to me like that. Why? Because I've got to stay up here or I'm because I'm scared to death. I'm nobody. Paul says, embrace this. You're right. <laughs> Jesus is the one who's somebody. And that is why. Because Jesus is the one who has weight, glory. That is why it's so important. Here's where I get the title to this sermon. Verse 4, Paul says, so each person must examine his or her own work. They don't have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to another. Jesus is the one who matters. Jesus is the point of your life, whether we understand that or not. That's what gives us the opportunity to actually matter. What we do can matter, but the only things we do that will matter are things that are done out of obedience to and for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Me knowing and following Jesus matters, like ultimately, eternally. Me loving other people in a way where it makes it more likely that they recognize Jesus at work and they begin to understand that he matters. That matters. And really, it's all that matters. So at times, we need to, another interesting Greek word, we need to examine ourselves. We need to take our spiritual temperature from time to time, honestly. This word for examine, uh, dakamadzo, is the Greek word. It is, I looked up this definition out of the, the major, uh, we'll call it a dictionary of Greek from this day. Here's the definition of examine. A critical and careful evaluation that determines the genuineness of something. A critical and careful evaluation that determines the genuineness of something. It's a word for what an art dealer would do if he examines a painting to see if it's like an original or if it's a fraudulent copy. Paul says, I need to examine me to see if I'm the real thing. To see if I will matter. If my life's going to count. Here's what Paul's saying. We all want to matter. I know you want to matter. I do too. We're all trying. But Paul says we need to pause at times, do a self-exam, and ask ourselves, like, do I matter? Does what I am doing matter? Am I making much of the one who matters? And then here's some encouragement for you. This is very unusual in the Bible. If you can answer those questions correctly, Paul says, then you will have reason for boasting in regard to yourself. That's not usual in the Bible. 
You know what a boast is or was in the ancient world? A, a boast in the ancient world when, when two armies were preparing to go out and face each other in combat. And, and we're not talking smart laser-guided missiles. We're talking about clubs and pointy sticks, right? Hand-to-hand combat. And before they went out, and I may die today, the army would sit around and tell each other the boast, tell each other why we are going to prevail. Because our cause is greater. Our gods are stronger. We're mightier. We're stronger. Now let's get out there and try not to die. Right? That's, that's the boast. Paul says if we can honestly look at our lives and see evidence that we think Jesus matters, that gives us a boast. But listen, it's not a boast where I compare myself to someone else. Look how much I do than she does, right? It's not a boast I say to someone else. Look what I'm doing. Look how much I matter. The boast is to my heart. Listen, heart. I know you want to matter. I matter. You know how I know I matter? Because... I now run my business in a way I never used to. And the change is because I know Jesus Christ matters. I, I come and I work on Wednesday nights at Awana at or a youth group. I go and visit. Uh, I take the time to go visit uh, a, a widow. I, I make some calls to check out people are doing. I, I've invested in kingdom things. I don't know what it is. But sometimes we need to look at our lives, our checkbooks, our time, lots of things, and say, am I really about what matters? The reason that's important is not just because that God won't like us more. That was done there. We have His righteousness. That will never change. But it helps my heart. When I can say, I know, Maxwell, I know you want to matter Here's some things that let you know you do because you're doing things for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're different. These can be simple things. They don't have to be massive things. I actually thought of one this morning. I made a bunch of prayer cards. You know, I cut those things out, uh, print those off. I was cutting them out. I went into the office back there and I spilled these prayer cards all over the office. And I got a lot to do on Sunday morning. And the word that came out of my mouth was better than the ones they used to. And I'm dead serious. I went, hey God, thanks. You know what? I care about this stuff. Or I know 25 years ago, one of the words that came out of my mouth would not have been that one. So I tell my heart, like, listen, That's evidence, heart, that you are serious about this. It could be little stuff. When Jesus talked about stuff to do for the kingdom, he talked about giving a cup of cold water to someone. He didn't say if you make some massive ministry and lots of people come and pay attention to you, that means you're doing this. It's like, what do you do do that nobody notices that you wouldn't have done if he weren't making a difference in your life? Listen, that stuff is what matters. And here's why it's important that we take our spiritual temperature from time to time and making sure we work on what matters because Paul says in verse 5, each one is going to carry his own load. 
First thing we have to do with this verse is clear up an apparent contradiction. In verse 2, Paul said we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Three verses later, he says, make sure every person's carrying their own load. Well, which one is it, Paul? You see the problem there? Load is a different word than burden. I don't know how your Bible translates it. It doesn't matter. I hope they're two different words. It's the only thing I really care about. Um, uh, fortion is the, is the word here for load. This, a burden is something that's too heavy I can't get out from under. A load is used of a soldier's pack that he was responsible to carry. It's used of the cargo a ship could, sh- could safely haul. And Paul's alluding to something here that he wrote about extensively elsewhere, and he must have talked to the Galatians about it when he was there privately. Paul says, each one of us is going to be held responsible for what we are responsible. And we are responsible to work at what matters. To the Romans, Paul said this, Paul said, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us Christians will stand before God's judgment seat. And there, each of us is going to give an account of ourself toward God. This is often called the bema, which is a Greek word, the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what Paul, all Paul is saying. Someday, even as a saved Christian, not to determine whether you get into heaven or have to go to hell, that's taken care of at the cross. But you, after the Lord returns or after you die, you're going to stand before God and he's going to want to know what did you do that mattered. And it's going to be very clear who matters when we stand before the only one that matters. And it's not a judgment, uh, it's not a judgment primarily about what sins we sin that's taken care of at the cross. It's just what did you do with your time as a Christian that mattered? How many cups of cold water did you hand out? What did you walk in the spirit? Were you changing? Were you trying? Did you confront other people because you love them? Did you confront yourself because you had real, actual love for yourself? What do the rewards look like? I don't know. There's my answer. But I know God will make it worth our while. We'll be rewarded for the stuff we did in this life that matters. Stuff we did in the spirit to make much of others. I do think we can be misguided as Christians. If I want to matter in the next world, and so I do a bunch of stuff because I want to matter more than everyone else in the next world, I'm not sure that stuff counts. That's my own opinion. In all of this, starting from the back and then summarizing, here's what Paul is saying. One day, O Christian, you're going to stand before God and give an account of what you did that actually mattered. Alone. Alone. And then you will not get to say, yeah, but let me tell you what she did that made me alone. What are you responsible to carry? And with that in mind, this whole section of the book of Galatians is about what the Christian life should look like. It should look like 
an understanding is clear of what actually matters and who actually matters. So the Christian life should be one of self-examination. What do I, what does my life say matters to me? Our flesh is sneaky and powerful. We need to examine our motives. Why am I doing what I am doing? Am I loving others enough to bear the burdens they can't get out from under? Where's my boast? What does a win look like for me? Do I boast in Christ and what he does? Or am I just trying to boast in me? Am I so caught up either chasing what will make me something or envious and jealous because all these other people are out there chasing what lets them be something and that's what I want? Or am I where he put me doing what matters and I can do all things for his glory? I'm not telling you have to change your job to do what matters. You can sell cars to the glory of Jesus Christ. You can clean popcorn to the glory of Jesus Christ. You can do whatever it is chance does with water. Like, I don't know what that is, but you can do that to the glory of Christ. And Paul encourages us, it will be worth it. Now, as we end our time and head for the Lord's table a week late, if the Christian life is supposed to look like self-examination, then while the bread comes around this morning, as the musicians come ahead and, and come up, while the bread comes around this morning, I just want us to take some time to take our own temperature about our lives. Are we working on what matters? I'll lead you in prayer but into that time, but when I'm done praying, why don't you just leave your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just while the bread comes around, we'll examine ourselves a little bit this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, uh, you have taught us this morning that we should confront ourselves. We should love others enough to confront them, but we also need to confront ourselves. What is my responsibility in the situation that I am in to display Christ, to live like you matter? And so God, as we uh, just individually on our own come before you this morning, I pray you'd lead each of us to just examine ourselves. Are we after what matters? Because you matter. We know this. But we walk around in, this, in these fleshes of ours that rival you for what matters. Be with us while we examine ourselves and the bread comes around in Jesus' name. Amen. Spend some time in your heart with the Lord. If you did, you probably came away feeling like 
not exactly killing this. I want to encourage you, I want to, encourage you to write down some thoughts about what, what came of that time right there. Pursue that. Listen, you have the opportunity to matter. But listen, the one who matters died for you already. Okay, we have the opportunity to do what matters because we can serve the the only one who truly mattered. And listen, he is not in heaven shaking his finger at you. He desires for you to do what matters because it's best for you. Ultimately, he has he has whatever those rewards are, he wants to bestow on you. But listen, he loves you. He loved you so much he died for you. The way you can do what matters does not get you into his good graces. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are already there. I want to encourage you to do what matters because it's best and it's good for your heart. But it is not on what we, it's not what we depend on for our place with him. What we celebrate now is what we depend on and it's more than enough. The night he was betrayed in the upper room, he gave little pieces of bread to his friends. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. Father, as the cup comes around and we remember the blood that was shed that forgives our sins, remind us that though we want to do what matters, you have already done what ultimately matters for our eternity. And so help us both try to work on what matters, but depend on the one who mattered. Commune with us, our Savior, as the cups come around in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah is just a really old Hebrew word. It just sort of means praise Yahweh, praise God. That he gave us the Savior, right? He didn't didn't give us an improvement plan. He didn't give us a 12-step program. He gave us a Savior. Wherever you felt convicted today, take that home with you. Consider being at work at what matters. But don't let it overshadow that you have a Savior that saves you from all your failings. That night in the room, when he poured the cup, he said, this is the blood of a new covenant by which you have what? The forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of him. Thanks for being here. I love you guys. See you next time.